Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hello and welcome to the Great Women in Compliance podcast. I am thrilled to join you today with my co-host Sarah Haddon for some very exciting guests. They are going to be talking to us about the art and science of storytelling. And with that, I'm going to hand over to Sarah Haddon so she can introduce our guests. Thank you, Hema. Joining us today are Michelle Beistel. She is the Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer for the Nature Conservancy. And joining us as well are Ashley DeBrenny. She is the Director of Ethics and Compliance North America and Micronesia, also for the Nature Conservancy. But why do we have these two guests here today? I need to go backwards for a moment and talk about how Hema and I first encountered them. And it was in Chicago at SCE's CEI convention. We were looking for a workshop to attend. I think it was after lunch. Maybe our energy was dragging a little bit. Don't remember, but we plopped ourselves down in the front row of this workshop and were absolutely enchanted, blown away by storytelling. And if you've been around the ethics and compliance community for a while or in any business setting, you know that storytelling is considered now the way to convey information. It's the way to make things memorable and engaging. But they weren't talking just about storytelling. They were talking about story building, which is a little bit different. How do you actually put a a format and a framework around the stories that are inside you? in a way that will resonate with your audience. So in great detail and with such an entertaining and memorable style, these professionals absolutely created something that each of us was able to walk away with tools to use it in our own workplaces and in our own relationships. So we've invited them here today to give you a little taste of of what we were able to experience. And with that, Michelle, let me let you kick it off. I know you're prepared to do Great. Thank you. First off, thank you so much for inviting us to be on this wonderful podcast. And thank you for that lovely introduction. It is every speaker's hope and desire that you walk away with something tangible, but to also feel enchanted is is awesome. And so thank you for that glowing um, review. We really had a wonderful time presenting as well. And I think that always comes across. And a lot of it was because a lot of our presentations centered around storytelling. And we know that storytelling is so powerful to building connections with people. So really excited to be here. Thank you again. And just um, as background, as we were putting this together, it was Ashley's fantastic idea to have this topic be submitted to SCCE. And we all felt really good about the topic. But what had happened right before that session is we had been in sessions all day long and everyone was talking about storytelling. And we thought, oh, this is perfect. We couldn't have planned this even better because now you're gonna come to our session and we're gonna tell you how to build that story. So I'm gonna turn it over to Ashley to talk a little bit more about how that worked. Thank you, Michelle. And as Sarah and Hema said, we are with the Nature Conservancy. I started with the Nature Conservancy a little over 10 years ago in our Oklahoma program. And that program, 30 years ago last month, they reintroduced buffalo 
at the Tallgrass Prairie Preserve in Osage County, Oklahoma, after a 120-year absence. Now, several years ago, I had the opportunity to attend a sunrise roundup of that very same herd. Now, this meant spending the night at a remote preserve in a historic building. And Oklahoma, like she often does, quickly changed from summer to winter on that October day. And we had our first freeze of the season. Now, listen, I knew the importance of grazing to the Great Plains conservation efforts. But on that morning, I trudged out of bed a little too early. The sky was still black, hard earth frozen and relentless underfoot. And I was not aware of the magic that awaited me. I just remember being out on the prairie, staring down fixated on my hiking boots because they were doing very little for my frozen toes. And suddenly I felt beneath me, the ground began to tremble. And this vibration traveled all the way up my legs and my torso. And I remember looking up, following this rumble to see the buffalo herd charging forward on the horizon. And the sky behind them, it was no longer black. It was blazing orange, awakening all of Osage County. And like me, their breaths were visible puffs of air and that icy morning. And as one, they charged forward. The sun was just burning at their backs. And I felt this sense of history and of nature and it was this moment that just transfixed me. And I recognize I'm not a conservationist by education. I'm not a scientist, I'm not a land manager. I've worked with many uh, brilliant folks who are. But in that moment, I felt connected to the work of the organization in a new and in a deeper way. And I recognize we can't engineer these moments of impact for every employee but we can wield the mighty power of story to engage others, to explore new experiences, to awaken new ideas, to build deeper connections. And this is the adventure for us in talking about story building with other professionals is we've started you here in this conversation with a brief trip to a sunrise stampede in the Great Plains of Oklahoma. And now we can explore how stories impact our learning and our connection to one another, how they can help us navigate change, and hopefully will encourage you to tap the shoulder of the storyteller inside of you. Wow, I feel like I've been transported there with you. So thank you so much. To have two guests that literally wake up every day to save the planet is so inspiring for me. And it's clear that you're doing that in many ways. So why storytelling for your compliance profession? Why is that important? One of the things that, that we know from research and studies is that a well-told story is remembered more accurately and for far longer than learning derived from facts and figures. <clears throat> so as Sarah mentioned, what she remembered was the story. We were talking before this, that story will resonate versus maybe all the other little facts and figures we also gave in that presentation. And so we know this is a really powerful way for people to take something tangible away when you're presenting or you're doing learning and engagement. And as an ethics and compliance professional, that is a challenge that we all face. We are often out there influencing behaviors through learnings, through engagements, 
And we can give a lot of statistics. We can tell people what we want to do, what we want to see them do from a behavior perspective. And what we know from our own experience and from the research is that if we can tell them a story that gives an example of the type of behavior that we want to see from them that's compliant with our values and our code of conduct, they're likely to hearken back to that story in that moment of need when they face that ethical dilemma versus all the great facts and statistics that we might want to share as our in our little ethics and compliance world. We, but that is what we have seen over and over again through our telling and our use as well. Not to deconstruct in any way and take the magic away from your story, but I do want to focus on one thing in particular. When you talked about the way the earth trembled, I felt that in my nervous system the first time you told that story. It was as if you were lighting up a different part of my brain. It made it memorable. It made me feel like I was inside the story. Both times you told it, actually, the first time I hold it or heard it and, and also just now. How, how important is it when you're building a story to insert those kinds of moments that go beyond just imparting data, imparting information, but actually trying to evoke memory or emotion or feelings? Yes. One of the things we learned when we were reading about story is that our brains reject most information that it doesn't immediately identify as meaningful or useful. And stories bring that simplicity and they bring meaning to information, right? They have this ability to transcend uh, our backgrounds, our differences. In fact, Michelle and I love this quote that the quickest path between yourself and another person is a story because listening to story encourages us to reflect on our similarities, appreciate our perspectives and negotiate our differences. I don't know for, we, we talk about story a lot. We implement story a lot with compliance to build trust, to build connection. And we recognize Michelle talked a little bit about the influence on behavior and one of the things we've read a lot about is that when we can imagine ourselves in a story, this not only fosters connection to the storyteller into that moment, like Sarah said, like being there, right? But it creates our, a better ability to learn and retain that information. And emotions. Oh, I'm sorry, Michelle. Yeah, I was just going to add, I also think like the other piece, like if you just think about the how you connect, right? And as you mentioned, Sarah, right? Like that feeling, her description evoked emotion, emo evoked feeling. It's engaging, right? Because so much of, she could have told that story with a very flat voice, with no extra adjectives, with no, and it would not have had the same impact. So I think that's the other way that emotional connection is that it's it resonates with people longer if they can really be brought into the story to have more than just their hearing sense triggered, their feeling sense triggered, their visual, I'm seeing this orange sky. The more senses you can use in storytelling, the, the more powerful and engaging we know it is. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Evoking the senses, all senses, was, was mm -hmm. just one of the highlights of what you did. I mean, my toes are cold with your toes. I have such great empathy <laughs> with the story you told that I feel like I was there with you, as I said. I, I did think about emotions when you, as you were talking and how a lot of the compliance stories we try to tell evoke fear. We're trying to scare someone into doing something. Can you talk a bit about that? Because there's nothing 
I think less motivating for some people than being told to be aware of regulations, fines, imprisonment. So how do you um, choose the right emotions to evoke to resonate and have a long lasting impact? That's a great question. I'll start off and I'll, I'll turn it over to Ashley. I think one of the, the pieces, something that, that I've always believed, someone more brilliant than me told me long ago, tell people what you want them to do not just what you don't want them to do. And so I think when we think about the stories we try to highlight and we try to use in our learning and engagement, we are often thinking about how to show the behavior we want, how to model that. And that goes foundationally to a lot of the learning engagement effort that we've undertaken in the past few years is really modeling the behavior versus just, as you said, getting up and telling people, don't do this, don't do that. We want to model. So if someone comes to you as a leader with a concern. We want that leader to model like how they should hear it, the empathy, the knowledge of what you do with a concern. And so for us, one of the things we've done recently is some skits with our own TNC actors, staff members who volunteered to come forward and wanna be part of a little video shoot. And we write the script out and they practice. And we one of our most well-received is two of our staff from our Africa program. One is the manager and one is a staff member. And the staff member is raising a concern about sexual harassment. And it is incredibly powerful. I, I remember the first time I watched it and I was so moved by our staff member's emotion as he described being harassed by a female. And the manager just was so good. And so just, it, it really, again, we really want to focus on behavior that is modeling what we want to see. Funny enough, we actually created that skit first the other way with the manager acting totally horribly, like looking at her phone, all kinds of stuff. And it gets a lot of laughs, but we realized it wasn't the message. But I want to just say that out loud to say storytelling is not a, it's, it's not an exact science. There's a lot of different ways to do it. And what we realized after doing it one way was it was really powerful to model it as well. And now we play them together, which is even funnier because people then find the manager funny, but then they see the modeled behavior as well. Such, such is the power of storytelling that you can really bring people into the room and you can really, as, I said, as you said, evoke emotions. Let's talk a little bit about the how. Now, I, I listen to you both tell the stories and I feel very humbled and also a bit intimidating. I'm like, how would I ever be able to tell stories as well as the two of you do that? Hema, one of the things that we recognize is that stories have been wielded from the dawn of time, right? They're used to evangelize and sustain faith, to promote patriotism, peace, and unfortunately, even war. And leaders of, of organizations, leaders of countries, they think, they learn, decide, hope, dream, and story, because stories are the fabric of the world around us. And so when we think about who should harness this, who should be able to build a story, we believe everybody should, right? And it's not a gift only possessed by the fortunate few. Some folks enjoy it more than others, right? Some people maybe have a natural knack for it, but we believe everybody has the potential. All humans begin spontaneously telling stories around the age of two. So everyone has this innate ability and we build stories all the time. And this is what we recognize when we reflect back on our team and the work we've done over several years. What we see is that the stories we're using are not some magnificent thing that, that took years to create. They're, we're surrounded by stories. We just don't always recognize it. 
So we created an exercise to help people recognize those opportunities for story building that do surround them, that the content is everywhere. And so Michelle and I thought, why not walk folks through these steps? And in true form, we talked just about, just now Michelle spoke about modeling. So Michelle's going to go through the steps and I will model for you actually um, building a story using these steps. And this was a story, this isn't the first time we've told it. So disclaimer, however, this story literally took five or 10 minutes of brain work to put together. So we do believe that these steps can be helpful for anybody. So get your pens and papers. The masterclass is happening right now. <laughs> Take it away, Michelle. Yeah. So the first step is to think about, we find that think about something that, that happened to you recently. Like it could be something that happened to you, to you on the way to listening to this podcast. It can be something that is happening right now as you maybe you're out walking and listening to this podcast. But think about something that's happened to you recently that made you think or feel. It could be, like I said, listening to this, having a coffee beforehand, getting dressed in the morning. And Ashley, why don't you give us an example of something that, that happened to you that you thought might be an interesting story to craft? Absolutely. And these happen every day. I went on a walk with my husband before this call and he told a story that I'm already going to steal because it's going to be brilliant. However, in getting ready for the SCCE conference, I had to try on some clothes because I work from home now. I'm 100% remote, which means all of my work things are very dusty and who knows if they fit, right? So I was going through the closet looking for something to wear to the conference, trying things on. And unfortunately, I had a moment where a zipper got stuck. And really stuck. I had to call in reinforcement and get my partner to try to help me with this zipper. So this was a moment for me right before the conference that inspired a story. And just from that little bit of description, this story could go a variety of ways. This could turn out to be a funny, maybe a comedy. It could turn out to be a quest for the perfect dress or outfit to wear. Maybe it's going to be a drama. We don't know what happens to the zipper. So there's a lot of different ways. And that's really step two is thinking about what is the, what story might you create? And there's some common storytelling pieces, quests, comedies, dramas. If you think about TV shows and movies you watch, their plots are usually around one of those categories of the type of story. So Ashley, what's going to happen in your story? This was a tough one for me because this story did lend itself to any of these. I think of quests as something that takes us out of our comfort zone to achieve something great. I think of comedies as awkward moments that we can learn from. And I have those a lot. I, I lean on those, right? Even tragedies, focusing on a noble character who struggles against strong external challenges or maybe overcoming a monster. My kids love these sort of stories where you've got to defeat a villain or you've got a hero. But for me, this story felt like one of rebirth or revelation. So focusing on transformation, right? Also something to bring about change or challenge a current mindset or a mind trend. And so with that, now you know where your story might go, you need a hook. How do you get someone to want to listen to this story? And usually that's through the title, the title that you use and or the summary of what it's going to be about. So Ashley, what is your title? 
I will tell you my title, but first I'm going to tell you my hook because I think the hook, I love a good title, but a hook for me, I think it's so fun to think about what's going to really grab people to get them to turn the next page or continue listening. We have so many distractions that it's really important to have that hook and start off strong. I would start off telling the story by saying, recently, I got trapped in a dress. I'm in. I'm in. Where does this go? (laughs) Hopefully people are going to keep listening, right? Hopefully I've ignited curiosity. And Sarah, you're right. That is exactly the next step. Okay. So now you've got their attention. What were the details? What are the key things that are going to help you move your story along? Ashley? Yes. And Michelle, I would say this is the one where most people, where the things can fall apart for us because we need the right details to know the context. And I shared some of that about going to a conference, needing to try on clothing. So there are details we need. Make sure your learner, your listener can follow what's happening. And there are details that are exhausting and boring. Some of my favorite authors are guilty of this. Cut out anything you don't need that's not pertinent to the story. So for me, the details are going to be the setup. Why am I trying on this dress? Because that's something a lot of people are going to connect to. We have a lot of folks working remotely. The next detail is what happened next, that I had to get help with this. And that when I was coaching my husband on how to get that zipper to work, I said to him, sometimes you've got to zip it up to get it to zip down. Sometimes you have to go backwards. And that's really the moment that sparked the story because it's just like in real life. Sometimes when we're stuck, we've got to go backwards and realign. Just like we're realigning that zipper, we got to realign, get back to our values or our initial uh, mission, right? Our purpose. And unfortunately for him, that didn't work either. And he ended up asking me, where did you buy this dress? (laughs) And I knew, right? I knew what he meant. He was, that was code for, I probably am going to have to get scissors out and I just want to know how much you paid for it, right? (laughs) So these are the things most important to the meat of my story. Very short and hopefully fun and something everybody can connect to. So that's the meat of it. So now you've got the details, you're sharing the pertinent facts that continue to move that story along. How does it end? What happens? Yes, the ending is actually part of what we want to think about with how it connects. And Michelle did a great job. And she she may talk a little bit about connecting it. But it's this is often where you can make the connection to the learning. So what's happening with your organization? What's happening on your team? What do people want or need to take away from this? And like any good story, we can wield it to our purpose. My purpose for this, the title was, Getting unstuck, what a wayward zipper taught me about progress. Because what I realized was that sometimes when we're stuck, we've got to go back to go forward. We've got to realign. And sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes we've got to go to a place that's uncomfortable and completely change course. And for me, that uncomfortable place was ripping a fully zipped garment over my head and squeezing and wiggling out of it. So that was my ending. I got out of it. It was fine. But just like in real life, sometimes you've got to get uncomfortable to make, to get unstuck, to make progress. 
I love it. I love it. Especially the choose your own adventure style of building a story, recognizing that once you have that beginning, once you have that jumping off place, you can mold it to your purposes. You can go down different paths in order to reach different goals. I love the way you shared that with us, the way that it all came together. And it prompts a question from me too. I think about your Buffalo story and I think about your stuck zipper story, entertaining, effective. I could retell them, but I would be neither entertaining nor effective because I didn't feel the trembling of the Buffalo. I didn't get stuck in the dress. How important is it that you be at the center of the story? Is it possible at times with the right material to tell a story and get these kinds of results that you're talking about, but it didn't happen to you? It wasn't actually you. I, I think it is. I think it is as long as you believe in the story. And so I think that's one key piece here. Yes, the stories that we've been sharing are stories where, where we're in the middle of it. However, that can be really uncomfortable for some people. And we, we know that. And for those of you out there listening, if this is a moment where you're like, I could never talk about my closet experience with my dress, that would be uncomfortable. Think about a TV show. Think about a movie. Think about an article or a book, something you read where the story resonated and share that. Oftentimes I've been in really engaging learning sessions where someone says, I mean, pick a topic. Any topic can relate this way, but I recently read an article and here's what it was about. And, and then you share the learning from the article. So I think it can be done, Sarah, as long as it resonates with you in some way so that you're authentic in your retelling of it, in your capturing of it. So authenticity. I think authenticity is a key. Like you need to feel comfortable with it. I think that's mm -hmm. really effective. And certainly, I, Ashley and I will both share, like we practice a lot. <laughs> like you, you can spin a story quickly and you will, if you really want to use that story over and over, you are likely going to hone it and you're going to practice and you're going to watch. Like sometimes what I will do, frankly, is I'll do a, a Zoom, I'll open a Zoom meeting, I'll start the meeting and I'll record myself watching, especially if I'm going to be doing a Zoom engagement, I'll record myself and I'll watch myself as part of the, of the learning and the storytelling. And that helps as well. Am I coming across authentic? Is this the piece that's really demonstrating that I believe in this story. What a great tactic. You made the point earlier that relentlessly editing your story is important. You need to cull all of the unnecessary and boring details, which is like when you're getting dressed, that old advice about you get completely dressed with your whole outfit and then you take one accessory off. Remember that advice? Mm -hmm. So having a buddy, having someone that you can practice your story with is important. But to do it on a Zoom and just watching yourself, that's brilliant. I love that as a tactic. That's something everyone can do. They can watch their presentation and edit themselves. We actually are doing some work now where we are doing workshops across North America on preventing sexual harassment. And there's a, a lot of interest and need for this workshop and not a lot of us on our team to deliver it. So we have called in reinforcements in other departments. We have uh, legal and HR, and we have volunteers who are working with us as facilitators. And we always start with a story. And again, people say, I don't think I have a story. I don't think I have a good story to share. I don't know if that I'm a good storyteller. 
So we spend time before they facilitate talking about story and they all have brilliant stories and they all are meaningful, but that's part of it, right? It's having a safe place to explore what your stories might be, what your sharing might be. And Emma, you mentioned we shared this, uh, the story of the story during our presentation at the conference. And we put this content together and it was really long. And Michelle said, hey, Ashley, this is good, but it's super long. What could you trim? And I remember looking at it and struggling with what to trim. And I had a moment where I wanted to tell a story about where I felt vulnerable in my role at the Nature Conservancy, something that happened with being in the field. And I really felt like maybe it was inappropriate or silly to share this. So I was going to cut it. And for whatever reason, I forgot to, I didn't. And when we launched this first workshop, it was on a Friday afternoon. And you can imagine how folks show up on a Friday afternoon for a two-hour workshop on preventing sexual harassment. Nobody was on camera. People were in their cars. It was a tough energy. And we worked through the content and we got to this moment where I shared the story and this magical thing happened where suddenly my screen is lighting up with people coming on camera, coming off mute, wanting to share, wanting to engage. And some of my colleagues were on the call with me and they said, Ashley, that was a moment, that was a turning moment in this workshop where people connected to the content in a different way. And we got feedback over and over, keep the stories, keep telling stories. So that if you want to facilitate with us, you got to come willing to explore story and storytelling. We did a few more sessions this week and we actually had several people stay on the line after the sessions to say, you told us this wasn't going to be our typical uh, training on preventing harassment. And you were right. Those stories but gave me perspective I had never considered before about power dynamics and risk and vulnerability. And thank you. Keep telling stories. That's a really long-winded way of saying everybody's got story. And just Michelle works on her story on Zoom with herself. It's okay to find a partner. It's okay to find a mentor. It's okay to find a colleague who you can work out a story. When we do our stories, we have people strip down any identifiers for this purpose. And partly that helps with anonymity, but it also helps with more people to connect. When we say, my boss, she did this. If I have a, a boss who's not she, I might not connect with it. So we strip that down. We say they, them often. We keep it as neutral as possible. And that way that story has the ability to feel uh, much more inclusive and everybody has the opportunity to see themselves in that story. One of the other things we did was we moved the story up to the front. After that, that was a little bit into the session. And after that amazing response, I was like, Ashley, we got to move that up. So now the storytelling starts almost at the beginning and, and the energy level is a lot different. People realize earlier in the training that yes, this is going to be different. And you know, people are curious. And when you start sharing those stories that they, as Ashley's talking about, like you hear that connection and you want to hear more. So you're constantly workshopping your stories is what I'm hearing, that they are alive, they evolve. 
It's not a one-time thing, which makes sense. And I say this from the standpoint of a marketer, you always hear that you need multiple touches with your audience for them to remember things. Tell somebody something seven times and they'll remember it. Or if you're in B2B sales, you need 40, 44 touches before you can close a sale. If you're constantly workshopping your stories, does that mean that you're also just finding new ways to use them or package them? Because it sounds like mostly you're talking about these live kinds of situations where you are delivering the story to an audience. But are there ways to get more mileage out of the effort of building a story? What, what are some ways that you repackage or repurpose the stories? Ashley, go ahead. Absolutely. We, we are global. Our team is global. And we are ready to meet that challenge of being more accessible and having stories for everybody. So sometimes our stories are written. Sometimes they start in Portuguese or Spanish. Sometimes they start in English and can be translated. So sometimes it's a blog. Our colleague Vera wrote a blog about civility uh, last year, right? Sometimes it's something like a blog on gift giving that we sent out a couple holidays, seasons ago. And then sometimes it's through character sketches, as Michelle mentioned, where someone's got a dilemma or you're plopping down right in the middle of a storyline and, and listening to a conversation between two colleagues as they work through an ethical dilemma. And one thing that we did recently that was interactive is we made use of memojis. We all learn a lot from our children. And so they, they constantly bring ideas for new content. But we started using memojis that we created where we can, it started on our team with us, but we found characters everywhere with our colleagues where we write out the dilemma and then they record it and we can play that. So it has two purposes. We can play it live in a session where we have an ethical dilemma that somebody's sharing and then the folks live can come up with solutions for them. Or some of our content sits on our intranet where leaders can pull from it. Maybe it's a cartoon, maybe it's avatars um, having a conversation, maybe it's a sketch. And so a leader or somebody on a team could pull that up and play it for everybody and then have a conversation about it. So it's a conversation starter. And now we're even working on cartoons, which are even more abbreviated, right? Uh, but we're constantly looking for different ways to tell stories and different places for them to live. So sometimes it's a recorded sketch, sometimes it's a static cartoon, and we also encourage our leaders to tell stories. So we have a toolkit for leaders where one of the things we say to them is, here's some help for building your own story as part of living in, in your own values is to share that story about something you learned, whether it was a, a positive, like we talked about, or a cautionary tale. Those are really powerful too, for leaders to give voice to their own values. I love the ways that you're trying to make risk relevant to your various audiences in various ways. And one thing that resonates with me as you're talking is the humanity of this all. You said we, we've been storytellers since we were two years old, and certainly there's humanity in everything you're doing. You're bringing back the human experience to what can be some difficult subjects that we talk about in the compliance profession. Michelle, I know that you also told a story, if I recall, about connection, human connection, and how you connected your own experience to the story you were telling and what you were trying to achieve. So I don't know if you want to share the bridge story, because that was one of my favorites too. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. So we, we talk about how stories can be used for learning, and they can also be used in those moments when 
as ethics and compliance professionals, you're walking into a room of staff or others that you've maybe never met before. You've had little engagement, depending on how large your organization is. And we know there's often just a few of us for a lot of them. And so how do you immediately get that connection started in a way that they are going to want to lean in and listen a little bit more? And for me, coming from a for-profit organization into a not-for-profit, there was definitely some skepticism, I would say, of the fact, would Michelle actually understand about us? Because we are the nature conservancy. We are we literally have cowboys who are staff members. We have bison on our books. So like This is a much different organization than an IT company that I came from. So I need, I got really good advice when I arrived that I should talk about in some way my connection to nature and how that is really the underlying reason that we're all at the Nature Conservancy. So I hearkened back to a story where my family was vacationing on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, which is on the eastern side of the United States and has it's a chain of barrier islands, it's beautiful. And we vacationed there every year. And one year we decided to go kayaking. And we're kayaking down this amazing little creek through this forest, this maritime forest that had just a plethora of different types of trees and birds. And you could see the little squirrels scampering and the birds singing. And we're going through and we're kayaking and we're all having a fantastic time. And we turn this bend in the creek. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this beautiful nature environment, there's a steel bridge, like just a metal bridge across the creek. But there's no nothing on either side. It's literally a bridge to nowhere. And the guide pauses us and says, oh, you're probably curious what, what's up with this bridge. And we are all like, yes, we are very curious. And he tells us the story that the property that we're kayaking on is owned by an organization called the Nature Conservancy. And that in the 1980s, the builder of this property, a, a developer had bought it and was going to build houses and roads and a whole infrastructure and had started down that path. And this bridge was one of the pieces. And then they went bankrupt. And the Nature Conservancy came in, bought the property and saved it, kept the bridge, frankly, because structurally it would just have been done more damage to remove it. And what the Nature Conservancy asks for this guide to be able to use the creek is that they tell the story of this. So there's really two stories in this. So I talk about how I went back to our house on the our vacation house. I looked up the Nature Conservancy and I joined as a member. And I had been a member of the Nature Conservancy for 10 years before this job opened up and I had the privilege of being chosen to lead the ethics and compliance function. And so immediately when I would tell that story, I'm no longer this interloper from a for-profit company coming to tell all these wonderful nonprofit mission-driven folks what they should be doing. Now I am someone who is just as passionate about nature and the fighting climate change and the loss of biodiversity because I cared enough in that moment to look up the Nature Conservancy and become a member. And so it really immediately created a connection. That bridge then also became a foundational element to our code of conduct story. We developed a code of conduct, a, a very robust code of conduct soon after I arrived to help our staff really in a better understand the expectations and to the point of do this, not that, like use real examples. And so our code, which I'm very proud of and Ashley played a huge role in, 
when we were rolling this out, we were trying to explain to staff like what, where did the code fit into the whole compliance world and ethics world at TNC? We had really wonderful values and we had a lot of policies and procedures. And so we described it as the bridge. So the values and where the bridge, the code was the bridge between the values and the policies and procedures. And we often, I would tell these stories together and people really got cemented this bridge visual so much so that we did an exercise when we were introducing the code of conduct where we gave everyone little rocks and sustainably sourced, by the way, rocks and, <laughs> and pens. And, and you have to say that. Um, we gave them pens and we asked them to draw, take this rock home as a remembrance of what the code of conduct would mean for them. And so we asked them to write a word or a picture. And so many people, and Ashley and I presented this together, so many people came up afterwards and had written the word bridge, or if they were more artistic, drawn a bridge. And that was just another reinforcement of, wow, like the story carried over in ways that I, I never anticipated. So wow. I'd love to tell you, you a story about how you both have inspired me since we last met, which is not that long ago. I certainly came to your session thinking, I'm not that creative and I don't think I can do this as well as them. But you did say stories are everywhere. I think you said that today as well, Ashley. And that anyone can cook, as it were. I think of Ratatouille, the Disney movie. Anyone can cook, anyone can tell stories. I um, I told Ashley at SECE that I had to go to Brazil to meet my Brazil team. I was a bit nervous. I wasn't sure what I was going to talk about and how I was going to build connection, how I was going to build trust. We talked about language. We talked about culture but I still didn't have the stories I wanted to tell. So I went a day earlier and I spent time in the city and I found lots of inspiration in the city for my stories. By way of example, I found a, a giant fig tree in a restaurant that was growing right out of the restaurant, 900 feet out of the windows and the restaurant was built around it. I took a picture and I used that and said, you, the business are like this tree. You are growing fast in any way direction you want and compliance will support you and work with you and we will frame around where you want to go. So just one example of many that I can say from having listened to you about how stories are everywhere. I was immediately able to take it and look for stories in a foreign city, somewhere I wasn't familiar, and bring that back to the team. And I will say the feedback was magnificent because people felt seen, heard, valued. That I'd even taken the detail of trying to have some connection with a team that I'd never met. So I wanted to thank you for that straight away. But let me ask you a little bit about that for inspiration, because it's, you, you've brought that to me by just listening to the two of you. How do we bring to our audience this gift of finding inspiration anywhere and realizing that truly anyone can tell stories? You know, how I... I feel like for anyone who's listening, who maybe they're good at story or maybe they're recognizing that they have potential as a story builder to keep going, to sharpen that skill, to elevate story in your work, trust your gut because story is not just our past. Story is absolutely our future. And for anyone listening who you think this isn't for you, you're like, Hema, you're saying, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I have this creative skill. Remember, we all are telling stories by the age of two, and they are everywhere. Maybe you think you wouldn't be the best at it, but you're curious. I challenge you to believe in yourself. Some of us need a prompt, something to spark our story. Some of us need structure to our creative process. And the storyteller is inside of all of us. We just have to awaken the possibility and remember that the stories are all around us. We live them, we watch them, we read them, we think them every day. And we can be inspired 
by our career and our colleagues and our families. Gosh, children and spouses and parents make fabulous story fodder. Um, our observations, our, our hotlines and our helplines, our movies and television, there's inspiration everywhere. So the biggest thing I would say is don't limit yourself. Sometimes we start out and say, okay, I need a story about conflicts of interest. Gosh, I love to tell stories. And I don't know if I could build one on the spot about something if you gave me that prompt. So don't start there. Start with your observations. That coffee you spilled, that funny moment you had with your kid on the way to school, start there and think on it. What? How can you work it? Maybe there's something there that you can apply to conflict of interest or something you can apply to values building or anti-bribery, who knows? So that would be my encouragement is to take all of those restrictions and those thoughts we tell ourselves, get rid of them and believe in yourself. You're a storyteller. They're everywhere. You just got to find them. I'm inspired. I know our readers will be too. Our listeners rather will be as well. Thank you so much for sharing today. We've all gotten something out of it and I can't wait to hear the stories that are yet to be told. Thank you all. Thanks so much. This was really fun and uh, we really appreciate the opportunity. So happy to have you. I want to thank our sponsors, Corporate Compliance Insight and our producers, Compliance Podcast Network. We will be back in a week's time with our next podcast. So stay tuned. And thanks again to our wonderful guests from the Nature Conservancy. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.